Why don't we pause for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity tonight to worship you with great words and great music from the hands and the lips of great musicians. I pray now that as you bring your word to us tonight, that you would speak through my feeble and imperfect lips. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit says to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome again. My name's Eric, and I'm the pastor here at Epiphany. Uh, we are in a series called, uh, that we're looking at Ecclesiastes. We're just sort of taking chunks of the book and looking at the various themes that the author uh, hits on. The author, we are referring to simply as the preacher, uh, because frankly, it doesn't actually tell us his name in there. Many scholars have thought that it was Solomon. Uh, and there's some good reasons for that, but for our purposes, we'll just call him the preacher. And what the preacher is talking about tonight is, is work. When I was uh, 20 years old, I got my first adult-ish type job at, uh, at UPS. I was working not in a truck, not actually, you know, I wasn't uh, piloting a plane, uh, I know shockingly, to you, but, um, but I was loading packages in a plane and in trucks, and I have to tell you, that's not nearly as glamorous. It is not. It was grueling. The work there was so, so hard. I remember my first night there, um, the packages were just coming down this conveyor belt so quickly, and I was trying to keep pace, and I couldn't keep pace, and it was getting backed up, and when it got backed up, I remember some of my workers looking at me like, oh, come on, new guy, you know, like frustrated, and I, I thought I was working as hard as I possibly can on this thing, and so they had to stop the conveyor belt to, you know, make a scene for the new guy who couldn't keep up, and then, you know, by the end of the shift, I remember just sitting there, drenched in sweat, Dirty as all get out because the packages are pretty filthy. And I thought to myself, I mean, my first adult job, my first day, I think to myself, is this all there is to life? Like, is this what it is? Is this what it means to work, to earn a living? Well, 20 years later, I can tell you, uh, after having worked in various kinds of vocations, I can tell you that the answer is a mix of yes and no. It's a mix of yes and no. No, it's not all there is to life. But yes, the sinking feeling about the hardness and challenge of work even if you have your dream job, which for me is being a, a pastor, I can assure you there will always be days, there will always be times where you will think to yourself, is this really all there is? Is this all there is to life? And that's the problem that the preacher of Ecclesiastes is dealing with in our passage this evening. But his wrestlings go deeper than the frustrations of, you know, me as a 20-year-old his, his frustrations are more sort of existential, the more eternal. His frustrations come with the question that he's framed this whole book around. And it's basically this. If this life is all there is, if there's no eternity, if there's no, nothing beyond the here and now, this moment, 
then what ultimate meaning, what ultimate value does work offer? And in his musings, I think he brings up three overarching problems with our work, if this world is all there is, that I want to cover real briefly, and then we'll close by talking about the solution to the problem of work. First of all, he brings up in verse 16 the problem that there is no enduring remembrance. There's no enduring remembrance. He writes, this is how he says it, For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. Now, of course, there are some people from history that we still remember today. That's true. So this isn't... A, a totally broad brush statement, or I should say it is a broad brush statement, but it's a general truism that even those who we do remember, which is a very, very, very small percentage of people in the world's history, that even what we know about them is very, very little. We don't know that much about them. Usually we know some aspect or some event of their life. Very, very few people get biographies written about their whole life. Very few people are George Washington. And so the author of Ecclesiastes looks around and he says, you know what? What's the point? At some point, people's gonna they're gonna forget what I did. It's not gonna matter. I if you don't believe me, consider Jerry Lawson. Now, if some of you are going, oh yeah, totally, I know Jerry Lawson, I'm not sure if I believe you. But let me tell you who Jerry Lawson is. Jerry Lawson was the son of a longshoreman who lived in a, a housing project in Queens. By the age of 12, he was clearly shown to be gifted. He built a, his first ham radio. And in 1976, Jerry Lawson came up with something that he called the Fairchild Channel F. Fairchild Channel F. What was that? Well... It happened to be the very first video game console with a microprocessor and interchangeable cartridges. So if you've ever played a video game in your life, you at least owe it to this dude, Jerry Lawson, that you had no idea existed before I just told you right now. That's the fact that the author of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with. Here's a guy that's done something really amazing that literally did change the world, but no one knows who he is. No one's going to know who I am. So what's the point? We're just a cog in the ever-evolving, progressing world. That's, so that's the first problem he has. Like this is, we're not going to be remembered anyway, so what's the point? Second problem he brings up is, is work. Well, if there's no remembrance. There's also no, no enduring successor. So if I'm going to be forgotten... At least I would like to believe that the person who comes after me is going to continue my work. But in fact, that doesn't end up being the case. In fact, it ends up that things get changed and my legacy is, is ruined. Here's what he says in verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master for all of which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. This is meaningless. This is nonsense, he says. This isn't fair. Haven't we seen that time and time again throughout history? 
Somebody works their whole life, they build up an amazing business, they hand it off to a, a son or daughter, hand it off to a trusted advisor, whatever it might be, and within a couple generations, that business doesn't exist anymore. Something you poured your blood, sweat, and tears into. According to Money Magazine, actually 70% of wealthy people lose their business or their fortune by the second generation, and the full 90% lose it by the third generation. For example, how many of you ever heard the name Vanderbilt, the last name Vanderbilt, well, Cornelius Vanderbilt? Was worth $100 million back in 1877, which was, I mean, just a gigantic, gigantic sum of money, making him one of the richest people that had ever lived in the history of the world. But Anderson Cooper, a descendant of Vanderbilt, six generations removed, was being interviewed and was asked about how much of that money is left over. And he said, quote, my mom's made clear to me there ain't no trust fund. It's gone. The point is, if, life, if this life is all there is, then, then the labor sort of seems meaningless because someone else is just going to take it and change it and maybe squander it. And so, ah, the author of Ecclesiastes, forget it, it's meaningless. You know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what's the point of getting up and going to work? And that's, that leads to the next point. He says there's no enduring rest anyway. The problem, you know, you work and you work and you work and you grind and you grind and you grind. For what? Verse 22 and 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Tell me if you can relate to this statement. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. You see the point he's making. He's saying our work keeps us up at night. It stresses us out. It frets us. It overwhelms us. We think about getting ahead and impressing the boss and getting a promotion and making the sale, etc., 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 and the list goes on. We can always think about something we need to improve upon, but if that's all there is, if this is all there is, then why? Why allow yourself to go through that? That's his struggle. Indeed, it, it makes good sense to do what Peter Gibbons did. You know who Peter Gibbons is? He was the main character in a movie called Office Space. I love the movie. In the movie, he has a hypnosis accident, which sounds silly anyway, it's obviously a comedy. But he basically, because of this hypnosis accident, goes from being a worker bee that, you know, is constantly fretting about work to being given this amazing ability to no longer care. So he sleeps in every day. He goes into work when he wants, or if he wants at all, he doesn't really care. He just does what he wants, and he seems to be the most relaxed guy. And the irony of it in the film is that he ends up getting promoted as a result of his great attitude. Because he's not stressed like all the other people. And so it makes sense. Like, if this life is all there is, well, forget it. Why work so hard? Why fret over it? Just give up. Well, here's the problem can't do it. We're not programmed that way. It's not. I mean, anthropologist David Graeber uh, wrote a whole book about this. And, and there, he, he refers to it sort of as an epidemic 
of people feeling that they have meaningless jobs. And when people feel that they have meaningless jobs, that their, that their work doesn't have meaning and significance, he says, well, frankly, it leads to all sorts of terrible symptoms. The data shows people that don't think their job is contributing to something greater, even if they're making a great salary, by the way, even if they're making a lot of money, if they don't feel that their work has meaning and significance, they're more depressed and more anxious. He says, quote, people talk about all these strange illnesses that just disappear the moment they get a real job that has responsibilities. And then he says this, quote, we have this idea that if people had the means to live, they would just sit around and watch TV all day. Well, I don't think that's true at all. The data doesn't back that up. That's what he says, end quote. In fact, if we're honest, most of us have probably invested too much meaning in our work. I mean, at least that's the problem I see. And, you know, when I talk to people in New York, I don't talk to people most of the time that are like, meh. I talk to people that are hustling all day long and are exhausted by their work. And chances are they've probably made work an idol. They've probably made their success in their career godlike. It, it matters that much to them. And here's the problem with it. Eventually, it always will lead to exhaustion because your work cannot do what only God can do. If you're looking for meaning and significance in the work itself, it won't do. The author of Ecclesiastes eventually at the end of our passage says, no, 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 your work for it to have ultimate meaning has to be grounded in a God of love. If you have, if you have when you go to work, this idea that God has indeed placed you in your work, in your calling, then it begins to be put in its proper place in its proper perspective. Then you're not working for your own significance and meaning in this world, but because you already have it, you're working from it. This is the way the author puts it. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. And then... He slips out of his sort of caricature of being a guy that doesn't believe in God or being, being a guy that sees life as meaningless. And all of a sudden he says this, this I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. At first, it sounds like a contradiction from what he's been saying about work being meaningless. But, but one thing has changed. God is brought into the picture. And all of a sudden, take pleasure in work. Eat. Enjoy life. That's the key. So when you have times where you might be tempted to go, what's the point? I'm not going to be remembered anyway. Or when you have times where you go, what's the point? The guy who comes in after me is just going to mess it up. Or when you have times in your life where you're so stressed and vexated over your work, it's important to remember that ultimately your work is a gift. It's a gift from his hand. And though it might be hard, ultimately he is working through you there. <clears throat> the other day I went... Uh, with a friend of ours who's here tonight to, um, to Google. 
And I was so impressed by the whole environment there. I don't know how many of you have ever been to the Google workspace, but uh, I mean, they had so much cool decor everywhere and uh, it was fun and diverse and they had food, so much food. It was glorious. They had so much food just for the taking for employees. They had nap pods where you could just like, hey, you know what, I'm tired, I'm gonna go night night. And you just did. I mean, I was, I was blown away by it. It was so relaxed there. And it reminded me as I was going through that about a story I read a little while back that, uh, about a company that does something similar, Netflix. Uh, Netflix, it turns out, has no official vacation policy, and they let their employees take as much time off as they want, whenever they want, as long as the job gets done. That's basically the stipulation. Steve Swayze, Netflix Vice President of Corporate Communication, explained the policy. Quote, rules and policies and regulations and stipulations are innovation killers. People do their best work when they're unencumbered. If you're spending a lot of time accounting for the time you're spending, that's time you're not innovating. And then the article poses the question, now what would you think would be the result of telling all these employees that they are free to take off on vacation anytime they want? Mass laziness? Constant struggles with people not wanting to do their job? Well, the opposite. Their policy, or lack thereof, has not resulted in the company, obviously, going out of business. But it is freed them from micromanaging bosses and fear and they work even harder. So here's the point of application for you. When you're, when work is your meaning and significance and God is not above that, then work feels like something eventually. It will always get here like what the author talks about here. You'll start to go, what on earth is my motivation for doing this on any given day? I mean, no matter how much money you make, by the way, no matter how successful, you have to ultimately see it as being meaningful, and that only comes from having a God above. And if you have this God above who says, I don't judge you based on your work, I give you grace, I, I judge you based on the work of my son, I don't, that's not, I mean, your work is a gift, well then, you get to work hard for the sake of a much greater reason sake of your neighbors for fun but not out of slavish uh, fear that it becomes everything that's the point that Ecclesiastes wants us to see that the preacher wants us to get that work apart from God yes eventually feels meaningless that work under God feels incredibly meaningful let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight to share your word. I pray that as we go from here, people that have been uh, graced by you, that you would help us to, to put work in its proper context so that we would not be enslaved by it, but we would be freed by your, your empowering of us through it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.